Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's, let's pray, shall we? Almighty Father God, we give you great thanks for the way that you speak through your word and have shown us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. Father, we give you great thanks that we have died with Christ and been risen with Christ. And we do pray that in light of, of, of being raised with Christ and being with him there now, we do pray that you would help us live the life that matches where we are in Christ. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was this Christian, Enia, he fell into the ocean, but he couldn't swim. But then a boat went past. And the captain of the boat said to him, do you need some help? Uh, and he said, no, no, God will save me. And you know, a bit later, another boat uh, went past. Uh, and the fisherman asked, do you want some help? And again, he said, no, no, God will save me. Anyway, he couldn't swim and he eventually drowned. And when he got to heaven, uh, he said to God, why didn't you save me? And he replied, what do you mean? I sent you two boats. That's just a, a silly joke about some dude uh, meeting God in heaven. But this morning, as we continue reading through the book of Colossians, we will see that we are already seated with Christ in heaven. Uh, Colossians, as we've worked through, is a book of two halves. In the first half, we've kind of seen uh, all of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. Uh, that is, that he is the image of the invisible God, uh, the firstborn over creation of the resurrection age. He's the great reconciler, the saviour. Um, as we have come to faith in him, we lack nothing. We have it all. We are full, 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 we kept on seeing because we have, been, we have died with Christ and been raised with him. That is the first half. And the second half uh, is kind of what the implications of that. What do we do with that today? Well, we have been raised with Christ. Let's have a look there at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. 
Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, we have done the impossible. We are in two places at once. Yes, we are here in Melbourne, in Campbell, as we speak, but uh, we are also seated, raised in the heavens with Christ, seated where he is, seated at the right hand of God. You see, we have been raised with Christ. And because of that, Paul says twice there, to, we are to, to set our hearts, to our minds, that is our motivations, our ambitions, we are to vigorously pursue the things above. We are to set our minds and hearts on the things above, that is, on heavenly things, on the things of Christ, because that is where our lives are hidden, and it's who we are, and so our minds should be there too. And we do it because that is where Christ is. You see, Jesus isn't just in some tomb. He hasn't just returned to dust. No, 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 he defeated death. He rose from the grave and he is seated, seated at the right hand of God. That is language of victory. He has conquered sin and death and he reigns victorious overall, seated, ruling victoriously beside his Father at the right hand of God. But see, we also seek the things above because that is where we are too. We have been caught up with Christ in his victory because his victory is our victory. We have died with him. We have been raised with him. And this idea of being with him, in him, into him, that is what the Bible scholars, they call uh, union with Christ. Now, union with Christ Uh, it expresses the relationship that we have as believers with Jesus. And the Bible says it in lots of different ways. You might have seen these, particularly in Paul's letters, but in Christ, through Christ, with Christ, into Christ. Um, And we see it throughout. So uh, some some passages that you may know, uh, God chose us in him before the creation of the world. And all these next ones are from the book of Colossians, the mystery of Christ in you. We died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, made alive with Christ, raised with Christ. What is true of Jesus is true of us. You see, we are so intimately connected with Christ in our union with him that what is his has become ours. We we died He died, we died, he was raised, we were raised. He is righteous, we have been declared righteous. He is holy, we are holy. We see there in verse 3, have a look there, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Now our lives are so caught up with Christ in our union with him, and it is a heavenly union. We are united with him in the heavens. And while the world around us can't see it, it is our reality because we are hidden in Christ. We are with Christ. And it's kind of like a babushka doll. 
Um, think of three babushka dolls. You kind of got a big one, a medium one, and a small one. You think of the, the big one as God, the next one down as Christ, and the really little one that is us. We are in Christ. We are hidden with Christ, and He in God. That is us in Christ, in God. Now we can't push it too much because I'm sure it's heretical in some kind of ways. But but, but you kind of get get the idea, uh, uh, don't you? Um, we are in Christ. And our union with Christ, of being in Christ, it is a permanent, eternal, everlasting, tight union. You see, nothing can pry us away. And you see, it gives us a great it gives us great assurance that what is Christ's, well, that is ours. What is true of Jesus is true of us too. And it's not like the silly game you might have played when you were kids uh, where you pull the flower petals off a, off a flower. He loves me, he loves me not, she loves me, she loves me not. We don't live in that kind of uncertainty. No, 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 we have full assurance. We are his. In fact, what is his is ours. Where he is going, we are going too. And it's kind of like catching a flight to Singapore. I mentioned Singapore because that's where some of us are flying off to in the coming weeks. When you board a plane, where do you go? You don't go under the plane. You don't sit on top of the plane. You don't run beside the plane. You don't run behind the plane. No, no, you go into the plane. And the destiny of you is bound up with the destiny of the plane. Where the plane goes, you are going too. Whatever happens to the plane happens to you. The plane goes to Singapore, you too will go to Singapore. And that is the same for us with our union with Christ. Our union means that we are in him so that what has happened to Christ has happened to us and what will happen to him will happen to us too. We have died and been raised with Christ and we are seated with him now in the heavens. And when he returns in glory, we will be in glory with him. Our lives are so bound with Christ that what has happened to him has happened to us. And so now we live in light of this heavenly reality. We have been raised with Christ and our lives are bound with Christ and so we live for Christ in light of that heavenly reality. And what that means is that we will live differently from the world around us. We live and seek the things above. And we do it by putting to death, verse 5, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Verse 8, we are to, to get rid of the old self in which we used to walk. We are to kill sin, assassinate it, put a bullet to its head, get rid of it. And while we are marked by this sin, we have certainly done these things and been stained by these sins, they are not to define us today. They're not to be what we are known for. That is how we used to walk. That is the old way of life, verse 7. We have done them, yes, but we are not defined by them today. And you see, that is good because, verse 6, God's wrath, God's righteous 
fear, anger comes on those who are defined by these things. But not so us. That is the way we used to live. That is our old life. Not anymore. Well, we see a couple of lists uh, in in our passage, particularly verse 5 and and verse 8. And these are just a sample of, well, many things could have been included here. Uh, But it's all the same. All sin needs to be killed, put to death. We need to actively work on killing it. And as we talk about actively seeking to kill sin, it's really important that we remember that our ability to, to kill sin or whatever, that is not what saved you. You are not saved because you managed to, to kill that particular sin. Look, I earned my place because I killed that sin. No, 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 no. It is Christ alone who saves. He alone saves us. But to show that we are pursuing that heavenly life, seeking the things that are above, we show that by killing sin, working on it, trying to live in the light because of who we are in Christ. Well, let's have a look at some of these now. Verse 5, have a look there. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Sexual immorality is an all-encompassing, all-inclusive term for all unsanctioned, prohibited sexual practice. Sex is a good gift from God, but it is for marriage, for a husband and a wife. Any sex that is done outside of that is sexual immorality. If you want more details, check out Leviticus 18 and 20. all unprohibited sex, there's a massive list of things there. And while we might think that talking about sexual immorality might have been different back then, oh, it's not like it is today in our, in our current climate here in 2019, well, let me tell you, it was just as unpopular back then as it is today, just as unpopular. And so when we speak against the tide, when we speak against the views of our against the current views of our society on premarital sex, same-sex marriage, whatever it might be, we've got to get used to the fact that Christianity and holding fast to God's word, it is countercultural, And it has always been that case. Nothing has changed. We saw in uh, last week as we have received Christ Jesus as Lord, we are to continue to live in him, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. And to do that, we are going to live differently. We're going to think differently from those around us. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we are ridiculed for holding fast to the Bible's teaching. Because what the Bible teaches, particularly in, in the area of sex, is for our good. You see, sex is a good gift from God. It is for marriage, but it's only for marriage between a husband and his wife. We need to have sex on God's terms because he knows what's good for us. He knows what's best, and it really is what is best for us. I became a believer in my mid-twenties, and before that point, I lived the the classic life of an unbeliever. I lived for sex, drugs and rock and roll. 
And while I did many foolish, many stupid things as an unbeliever, the one thing that plagues me most out of all the things I did is the sex I had as an unbeliever. It continues to plague me today and will continue to plague me until I die and am risen with Christ in in glory. I look forward to that day. But, But it is so common. It is so common for Christians who have had sex outside of marriage that it continues to plague them. You see, God knows what is good for us. We just need to trust him in it. And when I first became a Christian, uh, verse 5 was particularly helpful for me. Really helpful. Put to death what is earthly in you. I needed to kill it. Put a bullet to its head. And so for me, I, I did whatever it took. For me, I knew that I needed to stop drinking alcohol. Not because drinking alcohol is bad, but because I knew that one drink wasn't one drink, it was ten drinks. And when I had ten drinks, I would just want to have sex. I needed to put it to death. And so I did what I could to kill it. And while I'm still plagued by my sexual past and will be until Christ returns, that is how I used to live. I am not defined by it now. I am forgiven. And that is a great uh, comfort, particularly as I continue to live with the consequences of my sinful past. As we speak about sexual immorality, I need to, to say a few words on pornography, on porn. Porn is a great evil of this world. And it affects the church hugely. It destroys marriages and we can think that if we, if we get married, my porn addiction will, will stop, it will end, but it will not. Marriage does not fix uh, pornography use and it slowly but surely makes people feel weak in their faith, feeling distant from God, disqualified for useful service. And yet we view it because it's ridiculously accessible. It is powerfully addictive and it's full of lies and illusions about men, women, sex, God and where we find our identity and ultimate fulfilment. This this year I read this uh, really great book. Uh, I've got a picture of it up there. It's Captivated by a Better Vision. It's by a guy called Tim Chester. Um, I've got it in the um, bulletin, actually. I didn't put the author, sorry about that. Uh, Captivated by a Better Vision by Tim Chester. It is excellent. And I totally recommend this. If you have struggled with porn in the past, and particularly if you struggle with it today, to read this book. It is so helpful to highlight the great evil that it is and and shows shows us into the porn industry and all those kinds of things. But it is a helpful reminder of the gospel of grace uh, in which we have been saved to and the great reminder of, of that. You see, Satan, he loves porn. He loves it because we don't talk about it. We don't talk about the struggles and stuff we have because of the regret, because of the shame, the, the difficulties we have, and so we keep it in the dark. And Satan loves things being kept in the dark because it continues to feed on the lies and and the untruth of it. And so if we are to kill this sin, we need to expose it to the light, 
take it out of the darkness and bring it into the light. And so to speak, speak about it. Let me encourage you to speak to a trusted friend, to be honest and open about your struggles with pornography. We can't beat it on our own. I highly recommend getting some accountability software. Uh, Covenant Eyes is, is, is some program that I use and it's, it's excellent. You put it on your phone, on your computer, and it scans every single website that you have, that you use. And it sends a report of all the websites that you've looked at to an accountability partner. And that ally will then receive these reports. Now I recommend choosing someone who will talk to you about it, not just will ignore it, but someone who will talk to you and raise, raise it with you. If you're married, maybe your wife, a good friend. I've heard, you may not want to do but I've heard that if you get your mum on there, that you're definitely going to stop looking at stuff there if your mum gets that report. But you want to have someone who's going to pull you up and challenge you on it. Uh, I'm happy to be that person for you if that would be, if that would be helpful for you. If you are struggling with porn, bring it to the light. Speak to someone about it. I encourage that book, uh, Captivated by a Better Vision by Tim Chester. It's excellent. Get accountability partner. Kill it. We are saved by grace in God's kindness. We are not defined by our sin, but we need to work hard at killing sin in our lives. Well, the world is obsessed with sex, uh, and it certainly affects us in the church. But I think it's the last thing that's listed there in verse 5 that is the the real uh, killer among us today. Have a look there at verse 5 again. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You see, greed is the, uh, the sin of our times because we live in a materialistic society. We are attracted to stuff. We love stuff. We want new stuff. The advertisers have done their job. They have done a stellar job in making us, I was going to point out, us, making us think that we need more stuff, that we, we're really missing out unless we get it. I read in a secular paper this week in the Financial Review that we are the richest we have ever been, and yet we are unhappy and unsatisfied. We want more. Give me more. We are driven by FOMO, the fear of missing out. We're driven by what we perceive others have. Social media, Instagram, these these sites, they they drive us in our thinking. They they make us think, wow, everyone, these guys have it all. We need need it all too. Uh, And it drives us to have elevated expectations of what we should have. Got to have the latest iPhone, headphones, TVs, even though we've got perfectly good iPhones, headphones and TVs, or or the fast fashion, the holidays, keeping up with the Joneses. There is so much in which we are driven by our greed. We want it all. We want more. And we see the danger there in verse 5. You see, greed is idolatry. It is the love of stuff, the love of objects that we place instead of God. We might be able to see idol worship as we drive past a, a Buddhist temple or some temple of the like, ah, there you go, there's idolatry. But actually our greed is idolatry. 
as we replace God with the stuff. We worship stuff, things instead of God. And the only way to beat greed, the only way to kill it, is to be generous. It is to give to others and not to ourselves. We beat greed by being generous. We can pray all we want, but unless we start being generous and start giving to others, uh, we, we will continue to struggle with greed. How we are generous, it doesn't matter. Give to the poor, give to the work of the gospel going forward, it doesn't matter. But to kill sin, to, to kill the sin of greed, we must be generous. Well, we need to, to be killing the sin in our lives, putting it to death, to assassinate it. And as John Owen <coughs> uh, helpfully says, he says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. We are to kill sin. But we are also to uh, rid ourselves of ungodly speech, verse 8. Have a look there. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Here we see uh, uh, sins of, of speech, things from our lips. And while we may have been characterised by this speech in the past, not so now, we are to get rid of them, lose them. Anger, rage, malice. When it, when it comes to anger, if we are honest with ourselves, most of the time that we are angry, it is unrighteous anger. I know when I lose my temper, it is unrighteous. It's never righteous. I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm, I'm stressed, I, I lose my patience. It is unrighteous anger. James tells us helpfully to remind us when it comes to anger, human anger does not does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When we are angry, it is almost always sinful. And so we need to help each other, point it out in our lives. And when we are angry, own it. Not just pretend it's not there or to explain it away or as these things. No, 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 own it. We were angry and it's most likely unrighteous anger. And while we will struggle with it, we need to acknowledge it, own it in our lives, say sorry and, and repent. Slander, filthy language, Pairing, tearing people down behind their backs, speaking, spreading untruths, false truths about others, uh, gossip. Look, we can all be guilty of gossip. There's a stigma that girls are the gossips, but no, no, no. Blokes as well as female, we can all be guilty of gossip, regardless that it might look differently for each. But what do we say about the people that we're talking about behind their backs when they're not present? Would we say those words to their face? And while it might be in the tea rooms uh, at our workplaces, uh, in the playgrounds with other parents, in a cafe with a friend, do we slander and tear people down? Do we assassinate them with our words? What about the, the filthy language of those around us? Do we, do we join in and blend in with the crowd? 
Do we laugh out loud at crude, filthy, offensive jokes just so we fit in and don't seem so different and stand out? Or are we different? You see, we are called to be different, distinct, distinct from the world around us. And the thing about these sins of speech is that it really makes relationships really difficult. If we speak like this, this will destroy relationships and so we must kill it, get rid of it from our mouths. And finally, verse 9, we're not to lie. See, lying is always wrong. And while we may lie to prevent ourselves being embarrassed about something or we want to impress someone else, lying is, is always wrong. And here's why, verse 9. Have a look there. You have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see, we have taken off, uh, got rid of the old self and its practices. It's like a jacket. We've taken that jacket off. We don't belong to that way of life anymore. We, we used to be like that, sure, but not anymore. We're not to be defined by that now because we have put on the new self. We have put on Christ. And we are being renewed. Did you see that, verse 10? Renewed, renewed in knowledge. And see, as we grow in the understanding and knowledge of God through his word, as we are shaped by his word, that helps us put to death what is earthly in us, to, to rid ourselves of these old ways and we are being renewed into the image of our creator. He is renewing us and making us more like himself. We are works in progress. We are works in progress. Uh, John Newton, who uh, wrote, the, uh, wrote the song we sing sometimes, Amazing Grace, he said this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But, I'm, but still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. We are works in progress. And as God continues to work within us, uh, renewing us, he not only does that individually within my life within your individual lives. He's actually doing it among us all within our communities. He's transforming our communities. That's why verse 11 is there. Have a look there. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scytherin, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You see, we are no longer defined by what the world says. We're no longer defined divided into our cultural backgrounds, whether we're rich or poor, Japanese or Chinese, whether, whether we're Collingwood supporters or not. Nothing should divide us anymore because we are in Christ and we are being renewed together. You see, we have been raised with Christ and we are seated with him in the heavens right now. What is his is ours. And we live the heavenly life 
based on the things that are above, here and now, as we await for Christ's return, because that is where we are seated. And God is at work within us. He is renewing, transforming us as we await his return. We are works in progress. We are killing sin, ridding it in our lives. And as works in progress, we are waiting. We are waiting for that great unveiling when Christ will return and we will be seen for who we really are, hidden in him. When we too will be revealed in glory in him. Let's thank God for the work that he is doing in our lives and ask for his help uh, in, in this endeavour. Let's, let's pray. Father God Almighty, we give you so much thanks for what you have done and what you have given us in Christ. As your people, you have uh, saved us uh, through his death and resurrection, that his death has become our death and his resurrection our resurrection, and we are now seated in the heavens with him. We do pray that you would help us so set our minds and hearts on the things that are above that we would live the heavenly life now, that that would be seen in putting sin to death in our lives. Father, please continue to help us in that endeavour. Father, we're not what we were. We are not what we will be. But you are continuing to transform us and we do pray that you'll continue to be working in us, bringing us to be more and more like your son as we await his return. Help us long for that day when the, when the reality of who we are in Christ will be fully seen. We long for that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.